Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, but not just any Lost in Science. This is our favourite genre of show. What would that be, Claire? It is our triple creature feature. Hooray! Woo! Oh, it is my most favourite time on Lost in Science. It is our favourite time of the year. Um, <laughs> yes, it's not just of the year, obviously. We do quite a few triple creature features. We try to do as much as we can. Um, my name is Chris, and I have a special... Triple creature feature feature creature today. Do Mine, you? Yeah, it sounds like it's some um, quite a mixed creature. It's like a, oh. it's a cat fox. <gasps> Double triple creature yeah. feature. This is a special request um, uh, that to, you know, there, apparently there was a cat fox discovered early this year. And so I'm looking into that. Was it really discovered? Is it really a cat? Is it a fox? What is it? Or is it cat fox? Maybe exactly. it's like Cat Dog, that old uh, cartoon from the 1990s. Where one end was a cat, one end was a dog. Yeah. Where does yeah. it poop? Who I knows? Do not want to know. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Claire, can you, can, you, um, can you compete with my cat fox? Look, uh, my creature is less furry, less cuddly, yep. um, and um, less two creatures. Yep. It is the Irukandji jellyfish. Oh. Yes. So it's a jelly and a fish. And is it, it is both jelly and fish. Or maybe neither? Jelly oh. nor fish? Or maybe both. Or maybe both. Yeah. Mm, mm. But what we do know is that uh, these stingers come out in summer in northern Queensland and um, they cause all sorts of havoc. And with climate change, we've got increased numbers um, of jellyfish encounters. So there is some research happening at JCU around um, how we can figure out how and when these jellyfish arrive on beaches. Excellent. Yeah. Look forward to that scary story. Mm. Stu, what triple creature have you got for us to feature? Well, you've got a, you've got a cat fox, you've got a jellyfish, I've got a zebra finch. <gasps> what? It's a triple... <laughs> Triple double whammy hybrid double creature thing. So is it a zebra or a finch? No, it's a finch. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's a yeah, it's a cute little stripy looking yeah. finch. But actually, okay. my story is about the the bird brains uh, of the zebra finch, and um, the zebra finch is an Australian finch, but it's also a model organism for neuroscience because they can oh. they can map the finch brain um, quite easily, and it tells them things about how brains work. And one of the things I've been looking at is memory because zebra finches learn songs as they're oh. growing up. So they're actually being able to, to figure out how they learn these songs and and what that actually means for memory, which is quite uh, still a bit of a mystery, really, uh, how memory really works. But they're finding out by looking at zebra finches. Great. Well, um, I hope we'll remember what happens from that story. Not a great segue, but it is a segue. That's all we've got. Um, on with the show. All right, yes, we are listening to Lost in Science. We're talking about the cat fox. This is a special request the, to talk about the discovery of the mysterious, mythical cat fox of Corsica. 
when you say mythical, does that mean people would have heard of it before? I've never heard of such a thing. Well, if you such lived in Corsica, you would have heard of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now, this is this is the thing. Supposedly, it is some sort of kind of almost semi-folkloric okay. creature. Although, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm not sure so about is that. It, is it like a werewolf? Is it a cat that turns into a fox? Or is it a fox that turns into a cat? Yeah. Does it have magic associated with it? Or is it just sort of like a caddish looking fox? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Step right back. I, look, I, like, I appreciate how you jump straight to magic. But um, let's just look at what the actual story is here. Okay? okay. Let's go from the beginning. So this is a discovery that was announced in June 2019. Um, I don't know how I missed this. It was all over the internet, apparently, this cat fox. But um, the news was that researchers from France's National Hunting and Wildlife Office, that is the Office Nationale de la Chasse et la Faune Sauvage. I am learning French, <laughs> but not very well. <laughs> um, they, we we yeah they believe that they've identified a new species on the mediterranean island of corsica now this this creature was known to locals as the oh, i'm not even going to pronounce um attempt this why well, it's going to it's a jatu volpe which translates as cat fox okay um and it is said to attack the udders of of sheep and goats at night time right and so little was known about this mysterious cat fox until 2008 when one got trapped overnight in a chicken coop and suddenly oh. yeah Corsica's been settled for a really long time by people, and they've only just caught one this year or a couple of years ago yeah, yeah maybe well, they were protecting the cat fox possibly mm. okay so yeah, there was a report. Basically, it felt like there hasn't been, this discovery hasn't really been published in any um, in any uh, journals. Uh, it's just reports in the news from the um, the Office Nationale de la Chasse de la Sauvage or the OCFS ONCFS, and um, basically saying that it is this mythical creature. However, there have been references to it in other kind of publications. Looking back, just that the the kind of the it's been based. On previously on like some skins or skulls or this kind of stuff and trying to work out what the animal is on very little evidence. Because this is, a, yeah, the first time they've actually caught one and documented it properly. So after this, they started looking for the cat fox. After this first encounter in the chicken coop, they went looking for the cat fox. They put out some um, some wooden sticks um, that with a scent on them to attract the cat foxes and the idea being that they would rub up against them. Oh and yeah. So, so what 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 scents did they put on them? Cows, uh, sheep udder scents, maybe possibly. <laughs> um, but they got some they got some hair that could analyze for DNA as a result of that. And then um, in 2016, they actually managed to capture their first cat fox. Right. So they did the DNA analysis before they caught the cat fox. The, the, yeah, the original cat fox. Yes. Oh, okay, and found that it wasn't a cat or a fox. It is. It is a cat. It's definitely oh. a cat. In fact, oh. if you see pictures oh, of it, right. when they caught this cat, it looks like a large cat. Um, <laughs> it is about 90 centimetres long, um, okay. which is a bit bigger than your, your normal domestic cat. Um, it's got sort of wide set ears. Tip to tail. Uh, thank you. Short whiskers. It's got long teeth. A bit more like a dog's than a cat. So you can see some confusion there. But it has got a ginger coat and a big fluffy tail with four black rings and a black tip. So oh. it's kind of, I think, the colour and the tail looks a bit like a fox. And also it's kind of predatory behaviour. It looks a bit like a fox. But, yeah, it does look a lot like a cat. And it's not <laughs> unlikely to be some sort of hybrid because foxes and cats aren't very closely related. No. So they're both in the 
order carnivora? They're, they're carnivora? all they're yeah. all carnivores, but they're very distantly related. Yeah. So yeah. the the um the the foxes are in the Caniformia, which is the dog shaped creatures. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the cat that that includes things like um dogs, obviously, also bears, weasels, and seals. Right. Um, and they diverged from the other carnivores about forty two million years ago. So the Filiformias, which um, is where the cats are, that's got cats, also hyenas, um, civets, binturungs, uh, and mongooses. Oh, right, mongoose. Not mongoose. Mongoose live in that. Um... I don't know whether it's mongooses or mongoose. I tried looking that up and it was inconclusive. Oh, come on. Let's go with mongoose. Okay, mongoose. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, yeah. Snoop Dogg says mongooses, so I oh. think we'll go with that. Yes, yes. <laughs> We'll agree to disagree. Me and Snoop. <laughs> you and Snoop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, it's unlikely to be a, a hybrid. So, it's, right. yeah, I would say it's a cat. Um, from appearance, sorry, uh, morphology, if you want to get technical. Yeah. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean to be a cat. But also the DNA, um, they've had a look at that. It seems to be more related to the African forest cat, which is oh. Felis libica, than it is to the European wildcat, which is Felis sylvestris. So it's not it's not just a, a feral cat; it's an actual breed, or an actual species of cat. It's a different species. Well, this is yeah. and this is why actually capturing it was so important, or getting DNA was so important, because people previous references there had been a few. There had been like some attempted to classify it about ninety years ago, um, and gave it a different species name. They call it Felis rayi, um, but more recent. Articles before this latest kind of announcement did seem to think that it was a feral domestic cat. Right. Uh, in fact, you go to the Wikipedia page, it still says species name Felis catus, which is domestic cat mm. species. And the theory was, I think, that the Romans brought it over or something like that and it had gone feral. So that was kind of what the theory had been. But now they've actually done tests on it. They think it's more related to this yet, to the African wild cat, which is quite different to the domestic cat. Um. So, yeah, they have since they've seen 16 cats, they've captured and tagged 12 of them to find out their range. They can range as much over 3,000 hectares, um, fairly wide range of altitude as well, because Corsica is quite hilly and very rugged terrain, which kind of explains why they haven't been known officially to science, even though they're in like the middle of the Mediterranean, basically. Um, yeah, and the, the researchers think that it could have been on Corsica for as long as six and a half thousand years. Wow. Which have been like since the second wave of humans arriving on the island. So there, it is a long time. Um, yeah. But there's still a lot to learn, clearly. They still haven't exactly figured out how to classify it. I'm sure all the, the feline taxonomists are up, you know, all in excitement, in lather if you will, about how they're going to classify it. Is it going to be a new species, Felis rei? Is it going to be Felis libica rei, a subspecies? I don't know. I'm excited to find out. But, um, yeah, look, it is uh, It is definitely a cat, is what we can say. We yeah. do know. And maybe instead of cat fox, we can call it fox cat. Not a bad idea. traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. Lost in science. Uh, So, Stu, Chris, um, have you guys been in Northern Australia during stinger season? I have. In the summertime? Yes. 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 No swimming. Pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Um, if the crocs and the sharks aren't enough to scare you, 
out of the water, then the stingers might be. Yeah, just stay inland and go swimming in the river. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Far enough that the salties can't <laughs> far come Far enough up. that the crocodiles don't get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or the, yeah, don't go in the billabongs. No. 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 No, no billabongs. <laughs> Actually, maybe the pool. <laughs> yeah, pools are good, but you've got to check for the crocs because oh, they God. sit in the bottom of the pool as well. <laughs> chlorinated water, do they? Uh, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard stories. But, oh, okay. dear. It oh, was in the NT that news, is... though, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who knows how reliable it is? Now, Chris, I know you're a Queenslander, so you would definitely know the Irukandji jellyfish. I've tried to keep away from it. You've tried to keep away from it. You're not on, not on speaking terms? No, no. And it tries to keep away from me too. I think, it was that TV show years ago, Stingers Undercover. I like to think they keep a, a low profile. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that's what that show was about. Thanks oh, for letting me there know. There you go. I don't need to watch it. Um, well, if you wanted to know the Irukandji... Uh, the Irukandji jellyfish is actually named after Irukandji country, um, First Nations country in far north Queensland. Um, and they're not just one species of jellyfish, but 16 different type of species sort of put into this group. Um, and that is an extremely venomous small species of box jellyfish. Um, and, yeah, and one thing that they are, is tiny. So an adult size of Irukandji is about one cubic centimetre. Uh, they are both one of the smallest and one of the most venomous jellyfish in the world. So the one cubic centimetre, is that its body or is that the tentacles as well? That is its body. Ah. Also known as the bell. Oh. Yes. Yes. Fun fact, Not Chris. the box, even not though the it's a box jellyfish. Yeah. The, not the box, the bell. It's the box the bell came in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And if – so they inhabit the northern marine waters of Australia, as we know, um, but regrettably they actually prefer the shallows. So they hang out in the first couple of metres and then they sort of – they have like 24 eyes so they can can sort of like watch as – they well, maybe not, not watch, but they sort of like go up and down the shoreline. So can they – can they – propel themselves? Can they move around on yeah. purpose? So they're not just washed around by the waves? No, or no, 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 no. Okay. They aren't like a um, like a blue bottle mm-hmm. in that respect. Like their their bell um, can move like a like a. So it sort of contracts and yeah. moves them around. Yeah. 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 Uh, they can fire their stingers into their victim, causing symptoms collectively known as Irukandji syndrome, um, which also should be collectively known as hell. Um, yeah. Yeah. So extreme muscle cramps, severe pain, headaches, nausea, sweating, vomiting. Um, someone said it's 100 times worse than a cobra bite, which sounds – which also makes me question, do, have they had a cobra bite and an Irukandji well, jellyfish sting? I don't know. And anyway. how, how do you measure that? Do you get a cobra <laughs> yes. bite you 100 times and go, oh, that really hurt. I'll just test it against this jellyfish. Indeed. Is this the one that also has that sense of doom? It is. Yes. It is the one that has the sense of doom. What do you know about that? Oh, it just is a sense of doom. That's yes. like one of the symptoms. It is. One of the symptoms is a impending sense of doom, which you would think if you were having all these other symptoms, low blood pressure, heart rate increasing, then that would be enough to bring on an impending sense of doom. Yeah. But there's also a psychological effect that yeah. happens in the chemistry of so your brain. Actually, the venom causes you to have this sense of doom. Yeah. That's quite yeah. While you're also, you know... Um, physiologically having this incredible reaction to the yeah. venom. Yeah. Um, and unlike most jellyfish, these stingers, oh, 
So unlike most jellyfish, the Irukandji have stingers um, not only on their tentacles but also on the bell. So you can get stung anywhere on this jellyfish. You can't pick it up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sting you. Um, and some of the tentacles, they can be like a centimetre or two or they can be up to a metre. Which is wow. seems so they could really get awful. tangled up on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, they their stings can be so severe they can cause fatal brain hemorrhages, and on average they send between fifteen and a hundred people to hospital annually. Um, every every year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. People who ignore those signs saying no swimming. Stingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But that's actually been increasing over the past couple of years. Um, so, yeah, Irukandji jellyfish, uh, the movement of them has a lot to do with currents and warm waters and other environmental conditions. Uh, but because these jellyfish are so tiny, they are quite difficult to detect and they can slip straight through jellyfish nets and um, get under stinger suits as well. So those box jellyfish nets that might be in certain places, like they've just got no hope against the Irukandji uh, jellyfish. And yeah, the numbers of hospitalizations are going up. So it was only 10 in 2017. And then in 2018, it was 50. And then already this season, it's up to about 16 or 17. So wow. we're going to see another um, big season of that. So with climate change, the climate changing and oceans heating up, scientists are trying to work out firstly how um, how the changing climate is going to affect the Irukandji's lifestyle cycle um, and also how we can better protect swimmers from these creatures because if Irukandji are maybe out in force for longer um, then that's going to put them in contact with swimmers for much more of the year than they previously have been and we're going to get more and more of these awful um, impending doom situations which is not so great. one thing and one way that they are discussing sort of monitoring Irukandji jellyfish is using environmental DNA uh, as an early warning system. So scientists from James Cook University have found that the Irukandji jellyfish actually leave behind DNA in the water that they swim through. This is like we talked about the Loch Ness Monster study a few weeks ago. That's right. Yeah, where they yeah you can test the water to work out what's been swimming in it, basically. Yeah, yep. So you can take a sample of the water and then put it through a sequencing machine. If you take like you know small, um, like small bits of the DNA of the Irukandji and then try to sequence it against all the different DNA that's in the water, you can tell whether those Irukandji um, mm. jellyfish are there or um, or if they're not. And if you do this, um, if you do this on beaches, then you get a sense of whether the Irukandji are there before anyone gets stung, uh, which gives you a really good early warning system. And at the moment, this isn't fully funded and they're still sort of working it out. They're applying for ARC grants and trying to work out just how they can make this as effective as possible on as many beaches as possible. So until this happens, if you are in Queensland over summer, uh, play it safe in the ocean, brush up on your stinger first aid, and if if um, at the first sign of impending doom, seek help. Have you seen the film Total Recall? Oh, yeah. Love that film. The, Which one? Well, the, 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 the first one, the Arnie one. Oh, do you even have to ask? No, yeah. I, yeah the, the, the Paul Verhoeven one. Yeah. Um, so it's based on a Philip K. Dick story about a future 
where rather than going on actual holidays, people pay money to have memories of a holiday implanted in their brains mm. instead. So obviously that's cheaper than, you know, actually going on a holiday. You just go in to lie down for a while, get the memories implanted. But also, you know, it's an expensive adventure and you can have all sorts of added extras like being a secret agent and other fantasy options you can have thrown in there, which <laughs> are not achievable on or, your regular holiday. Or are you really a secret agent? Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, this kind of memory manipulation is really the stuff of science fiction. Neuroscience is still basically in the early stages of understanding how memory works. So being able to alter it is still pretty far off into the future, uh, if, if even it's possible at all. So in human brains, we have short-term memory, which actually lasts only about 30 seconds. Really? So that's that's your short-term memory is about 30 wow. seconds at the most. Um, that's either new information from your senses, so what you see and hear, goes in your short-term memory, passes through, gets processed, and uh, and then it goes into long-term memory. Um, you also use your short-term memory for recalling information from your long-term memory. So it's basically like the, you know... The, the RAM of your brain, if you like. It's just using stuff, using information really quickly, and then it either stores it again and gets rid of it or forgets about it, I suppose. So tell me, Stuart, how long is your short-term memory? <laughs> uh, about about 30 seconds, Chris. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember that this oh, time. Yeah, yeah. The goldfish I do this <laughs> put show that in with. Your, put that in your long-term memory. Okay. Um, so unlike the short-term memory, long-term memory has a physical structure, it's new connections between neurons are made as a memory is formed. And it stays intact even when it's not being remembered. So when you're thinking about something in your short-term memory, it's, it's just zipping through there really quickly and you're not actually storing that information. Long-term memory is part of your brain. So the long-term memory is further divided into implicit memory, which is things we can do automatically, what some people probably call muscle memory. Yeah, like riding a bike. Like riding a bike or buttering bread, just those mm. tasks you do all the time. You don't really have to go, oh, how do I butter bread again? And you have yeah. to get the, or even know, driving. I mean, that's what... Driving's an obvious one yeah. too because you're doing multiple things at once. Mm. Um, so that's, uh, that's implicit memory. Then there's explicit memories, which are conscious and things we can actively try to remember, like things that have happened to us. So things that have happened to us are episodic memories. And then you've got... General knowledge, which is semantic memories, what they call semantic memories. So remembering actually going to school is an episodic memory. But remembering the address of the school is a semantic memory, for example. There's not actually, you don't, rem you know, the address didn't happen to you. It's just a bit of information that you've got. So human brains and memories are obviously very complex and memories can be changed by re-remembering them over time, which I think we've done a story on that a while ago on mm. the show. Um, but you can actually re-remember things and it changes your actual memory. So over time, your memories can be corrupted um, and they're altered by later information. But obviously, because we are so complex to understand how human brains remember, neuroscientists study simpler organisms to get an idea of how they might work to see if our own brains work the same way. So one of the model organisms used is the zebrafinch which is uh, a native Australian bird from the arid parts of the country. It's pretty widespread. It's a very common little bird in the, uh, in the dry centre of the country. Um, and each uh, zebra finch has a distinctive song, which is passed down by males to the next generation. Right. So the young males learn a song from the older males. And, they... and it's only the males that 
do the song. The males do the singing to attract yeah. females to uh, to mate with. Yeah. Um, so they actually learn an individual song from an individual right. older finch. Um, you know, it's usually the parent, but they can learn from other finches as well. Um, so each male zebra finch has a slightly different song, but the songs are similar enough that you can trace family lines as each generation alters the song slightly uh, with each generation. Um, so this song memory has been studied quite extensively, and the way songs are stored in a zebra finch's brain have been pretty accurately identified to give an idea of where the songs are actually stored in the finch's brain. So they can look at the finch's brain and go, oh, that's where the song is, because they can see which bits light up when it's singing the song. So using that information, researchers at the University of Texas have successfully implanted false memories of songs into the brains of birds. (gasps) So they actually disrupt the song that the bird has learnt, and it remembers a different song, and it sings it back as a different song. So did they disrupt it only, or did they implant a memory that they knew? A new song. A new song. They've literally implanted a new song. So they've got... uh, Is it the, like... um, like the demo on the keyboard or? <laughs> or like on Close Encounters or the third kind of. Yeah. Um, so the way they did it, so they actually uh, manipulated the brain cells of these birds. So they made the brain cells photosensitive so that when they shone lights on the brain cells, it would alter the function of the brain cell. And using that altered brain cells in these birds, they change particular groups of cells and that actually ended up changing the song. So what they changed was, all they actually changed in the song was the length of the individual syllables of the song. Right. So each each finch song is made up of individual chirps and sort of noises that the bird makes and they yeah. altered the length of those chirps, which is one of the differences between each finch's songs. But the bird remembered the same song. They didn't just disrupt it. They actually changed the memory of the song. So when it remembered the song, it remembered the song differently. Mm. Um, what they also found was that it could learn new songs after that. So they hadn't damaged the brain in any way. They just literally altered those memories of that song that it had learned, which is pretty amazing. Um, they were actually just trying to find out if they could disrupt the learning of new songs. They wanted to see if they could just stop the bird from being able to learn stuff, but then they realised they could actually change the memories in the brain of the bird instead of just disrupting it. They wow. put a fake memory of learning a song into the bird. <laughs> they total brain. recalled the bird. They total recalled the bird, and now the bird remembers that it was a secret agent on Mars. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> So the research helps understand not just how memories are physically formed, but also how environment and experience can potentially alter memory to create new memories that didn't really happen. And that is it for our special Triple Creature feature episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is, of course, recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it is distributed around Australia with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us, please do so. You can suggest more animals for us to Triple Creature feature. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. You can find us on 
Twitter. We are at Lost in Science One. I know it's because we are number one. Uh, you can find us on your favourite podcast app if you do so. If you're say you're on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and a review, as that helps to share the Lost in Science love. Or you can you can just find us on the radio same time every week when Claire, Stu, and Chris get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.